0: Welcome back, friends. You're listening to Parenting for the Culture on the Black Love Podcast Network, and I'm your host, Sheree Sims, mama to six beautiful heavens, wife to Professor Hiram Sims, co-founder of Sims Library of Poetry, and early education specialist with PBS Early Learning. And I'm excited to be back here with y'all on this Thursday. So as always, I like to start with the peak and pit of my day. It's a way that I and connect with all of you, and it's something that I do with my own family, just to start conversation and see how everybody's doing, get a window into their day, so I like to do it here with this community. And the peak of my day today is that I got to sleep in. We are on spring break, and even though we're hosting camp, I don't actually have to be to work till 11.30, so it is nice to sleep in. More though than just me getting to sleep in was the fact that my three littles actually slept in. Y'all know how usually your littles are on like such a routine and schedule that even on the days you have to sleep in, they still want to wake up at six o'clock and get the party started. So they were in sync with me and we all slept until about 8, 8.15. So that was wonderful and amazing. And I hope that maybe we can do that tomorrow. But I'm also afraid to do it too many days in a row because then I feel like I'll be screwed when we have to wake back up at regular times. But I'm enjoying it while it lasts. The pit of my day is y'all, we don't have a dishwasher. (laughs) And I know that sounds weird, but there is 10 of us in a house. And I just don't understand how you have 10 people living in a house and you don't have a dishwasher. It's too many dishes. There's no reason why I should spend 15 minutes organizing dishes just to wash the dishes and then not have enough space to dry the dishes. It's a lot. It's a lot of meaning. I won't say meaningless work because we all got to eat and we need clean dishes. But it's just like one of those things where I feel like we're spending a lot of time to do it and ain't nobody paying me to do it. And yes, my older children do help out with it, but my older children are not here right now. So it's just me and I could try to teach the four-year-olds how to do it, but I feel like that would be more work because trying to teach them how to do it would mean broken dishes, water everywhere, bubbles everywhere. And I'm just, you know, I'll do it myself. It's one of those things. I will just do it myself right now. Uh, But with this week being spring break, we do have spring break camp at my job, like I said. And so things look a little different at my job. And I get to work with some different coworkers that I don't usually work with. I'm telling you this because this is actually a segue into what I want to talk to you guys about today. Uh, Because yesterday at camp, we were playing this like pick up sticks game and it's called Bean Boozled. Have you all ever heard of Bean Boozled? It's a box of jelly beans. And you spin a little spinner thing, and then you land on a certain jelly bean. And you have to pick up the jelly bean that looks like the one that you spun on. And when you pick it up, it is either going to be a really good tasting jelly bean or a really bad tasting jelly bean, but they both look the same. So, for example, like if you get the red jelly bean, you're either about to eat a pomegranate jelly bean or you're about to eat an old Band-Aid jelly bean. (laughs) That was literally the flavor that's on the box. So we're playing this game. And as you can imagine, if there are jelly beans involved, all the kids are going to want to play. So we have the children lined up or sitting down. We're like, they're sitting at a bench in a line. We're going one at a time. They have to pick up a certain stick and then they get to spin the thing and get the jelly bean. And all of the children are excited, wanting the jelly beans. And so they're all kind of like jumping up, trying to get to the jelly beans. And my coworker, Kenner, is managing this game. One, I notice how calm he is throughout the whole game. Two, I recognize how he gives all the directions up front, says, this is what it's going to look like. Here's what we're going to do. Here's what we can do when we're waiting for our turn. If you don't like the jelly bean, here are your options. And if you're a regular listener, you know how much I love like setting the tone and kind of walking your kids through what it's going to look like from start to finish before you start the activity. So I recognize that he was doing that with the kids and I really loved it. And then as the children started to get up to try to like either skip their turn or get to the jelly beans faster, I noticed that he would keep saying, oh, my friend, your seat is right over here. And then he would point to their seat. And one, I love it. And there was very little drama around it and kids would just go back to their seat. But two, I recognize the importance of being able to tell children what to do instead of what not to do. And I can't remember if we have talked about this before, but I wanted to talk about that a little bit today along with like what our expectations are for children because I do recognize that we have moved into this quote gentle parenting generation and this conscious parenting generation and we have a lot of parents today who are you know trying to learn more trying to do a little bit better trying to gain more tools than maybe our parents had or the last generation had and we're starting to implement them but we're still kind of in the dark with some foundational things, or we're still missing some foundational steps. So I notice a lot of times we're still telling children like, don't do that, but we forget to tell them what they can do instead. And one thing I love in the example of, oh, my friend, your seat is over here, is it's not even a language of like, don't do that or do do this. It's just kind of, here's here's the direction, <laughs> There's no blame. There's no shame. There's no making them feel bad. There's no, it's not your turn yet. Sit down. There's no frustration. It's just a very gentle way of guiding children and helping really even remind them of what's going on and what we're doing. And I think that there are a lot of things that teachers do in the classroom that can be very helpful for parents to do at home. So even when it comes time to I don't know, get ready for bed. Like we spend a lot of time chasing our children around saying it's bedtime, it's bedtime, it's bedtime and get your, get your pajamas, get your toothbrush, get this. It's not time to do the TV, turn the TV off. It's not time to play the games, turn the games off, put the games away. And we spent all this time like pushing and pulling with them. Right. And we it always feels like kind of like a fight an argument. This is whether it's bedtime. This might be in the morning when we're trying to get them to go to school but there are so many moments through the day where it feels like a battle. Like I hear that word so much, even in my own head. There are times where I feel like I am battling with my children right now. And I don't feel like I'm on the same team as my children. And I think that when we're parenting, one of the greatest tools that we can have that really strengthens our parenting and strengthens our experiences with them is trying to get on the same team as them. And as a teammate, you're not there like, equal teammate, right? <laughs> you're you're more like their coach. So you're coaching them. And the same way a coach sits on the sidelines and will like give you plays and let you know what's going on and direct you and yell at you and tell you who to pass to or whether or not to shoot it, we're kind of doing the same thing with our children. And as a coach, you really have to understand the game and you have to understand your players. If you don't know anything about soccer, you can't be nobody's soccer coach cuz you don't understand how the game works. And if you don't know anything about basketball, you can't be nobody's basketball coach. You have to really understand the game and your players in order to be the best coach. When coaches are looking at the plays they're going to do, they look at who are my forwards, who should be on defense, who are my shooters, who should be passing. If you can't tell, I don't know a lot about basketball, but I tried. I tried to put some terms in there. So y'all thought I knew what I was talking about. But you have to know who has which strength, so you know where to put them and how to play them. Even when you're running drills and you're in practice, now I noticed this with my daughter's basketball team, is I noticed that the coaches do link up the stronger players sometimes with players that are still learning because they want them to learn from the stronger players. But again, they have to really know where the players are and who needs help. They need to know which players are left-handed and which players are right-handed because they need to know where to put them on the court. and. It's the same exact thing with parenting. Like, you have to know your child, you have to understand your child, and you have to understand, we'll call it a game since we're using that analogy, although it's never that much fun, <laughs> but you have to understand the situation of where you're at. So, in the example of Kenner and the children playing this beanboozle game, it's like Kenner understood what is supposed to be happening. He understands where the children are supposed to be, what they're supposed to be doing, He also understands that they're gonna be excited about the game and that they're gonna try to get up. And he understands how to guide them back to their seat in a way where the game can keep going and everybody can keep moving forward. He also understands the age group. So I think that it's really important as parents that we understand our child's age group, we understand what expectations are reasonable for our children, and then we learn how to guide them and coach them to where they need to be. And one thing I notice so much even within myself, right? And I've been working with children for over 20 years. So I think that I'm very aware of like what my expectations for children are or their reactions to certain situations. I think that I'm aware of it, right? And for the most part, I feel like I am. But sometimes I catch myself in the same beliefs or the same perception. Like we talked about pillar P being perception and perspective. And when I think about what I was taught as a child. Like it's so ingrained in me, my perception of children that sometimes I don't notice where it plays out. For example, the other day, one of my children got mad about something and they stormed off and went outside to the backyard. And all of a sudden I hear like this loud thudding sound. And you know how some sounds, they're so loud that you actually feel them, like the floor kind of thuds with it. And so you feel it. And anytime I feel sounds it just triggers me. It does. When I say trigger, I don't necessarily mean that like I, I fly off the handle, but I get really tense. My shoulders end up in my ears. My fists start kind of balling up, not to hit anyone, <laughs> just because it, it's very intense for me. And I don't like to feel sounds. So it immediately kind of stresses me out and sends me into that, stop making that noise. So I quickly get up when I hear this thudding and I go outside kind of like walking hard. You know, when you go outside, like you have already started rehearsing how you're going to tell them to put down the thing that they have. And you're going to tell them to sit down. Like you're already rehearsing it in your head. You're already mad. I'm walking out with that type of energy. And I'm walking out getting ready to tell whichever child is making the sound that they need to stop making the sound. And when I get outside, fists still clenched, feet still kind of stomping, ready to tell them stop doing that and sit down. I see my child with a baseball bat hitting the punching bag. So I bought them this like punching bag that kind of looks like a T-ball. It's the punching bag that sits on a stick, has the punching bag standing up in the air at the top of the stick. That's about, you know, for my four-year-olds, it's like right at their eyes. For my nine-year-old, it's, you know, probably at like a little bit under her collarbone. So it's, I don't know, about four feet tall. Um, And so I see her just like swinging as hard as she can at this punching bag. And again, I'm looking at her and I'm thinking like, what is the problem? She needs to stop that. And then I realize I'm like, no, Sharice, actually, she's fine right now. I actually bought that punching bag specifically as a tool for my children to use when they are upset. Another thing that we do is we see our children upset and we are in this gentle parenting and conscious parenting age. We recognize that it's important to tell our children they can feel what they want to feel. So we say, you can be mad. But again, we don't tell them how they can be mad. And then if they start hitting things because they're mad, we've told them that it's okay to be mad. But now we're like, you can be mad, but you can't hit. And you can be mad, but you can't hit me. You can be mad, you can't hit your sister. You can be mad, but you can't yell. You can be mad, but you can't throw that. You can be mad, but you can't kick. But then hell, like what can you do when you're mad? And if you're a child and you're mad and all the things that your body is naturally telling you to do while you're mad, somebody else keeps telling you, you can't do that. You can't do that. And then also telling you, but you can be mad. Like for them, the madness is in the kicking. Like this is me being mad. (laughs) I'm hitting because I'm mad and you just told me I could be mad. So rather than just telling them, yeah, you can feel this, but you can't do anything with it, I think it's important to show children and teach children what they can do with these emotions. So for example, with my children, I tell them, you can be mad, you can't throw the remote, but if you need to throw something, go outside and throw a ball. You can be mad, but you can't hit me. If you need to hit something, go outside and hit the punching bag. You can be mad, but you may not yell at me if you need to yell, you can go in your pillow and yell. And another thing I, w- I want you to recognize or that I want to share with you is a lot of times when our children are upset, whether they are mad, whether they are sad, when they d- do these things like kicking, throwing, yelling, punching, notice that usually these are things that are actually empowering in a sense. There is a force where you know if you kick something or you hit something or you throw something, you can actually see your anger. So it's kind of like a visual, physical thing that they can do with what they're feeling inside because things that you feel that you can't see, they're very hard to deal with. But when children make them visible, it's easier for them to manage them because now they can see them. And usually they get to the point of wanting to yell, hit, throw, kick, when they're in a place of disempowerment. They've either had something taken away from them. Maybe they've been embarrassed. Maybe they have to be on somebody else's schedule. But usually you see these behaviors in times where the children feel small. Small in whatever sense you want to fit small into this picture. And so usually children are responding this way because they want to feel bigger. They want to feel in control. They want to feel powerful. And when you can throw things... It actually is a feeling of power. When you can kick something, you feel more powerful. So I say that to say, if you recognize that your child is feeling disempowered and trying to empower themselves, but they're doing it in a negative way, try to teach them how to empower themselves in a positive way. Maybe that looks like hitting a punching bag. For me, I buy them a punching bag, not necessarily to empower them, but so that they have an outlet to get that out and to get those feelings out. Maybe the empowerment is in giving them space to tell me how they feel, to tell me why they're angry, and then giving them space to help find a solution to it. Giving them back a sense of control over the situation, giving them a sense of your voice has power. I'd like to hear your thoughts. Your thoughts have power. You can be a part of this. We're on the same team. So, anyways. She's hitting this punching bag. I have to remind myself, Sharice, you got this punching bag for her to hit. And then I was like, but Sharice, she's hitting it with a bat. I don't know about that. And I was like, no, 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 no. Sharice, let her do it. She actually took the time to walk herself outside while she was mad, grab a bat (laughs) and hit the punching bag. She is not hurting me. She is not hurting anybody else. Like she's not disrespecting any items in our house or hurting anything in our house that is not meant to be hurt. She is literally grabbing the physical tools that I bought her to be able to express her anger. And to me, that was healthy that, you know, this child was able to walk away from the situation that was upsetting her, go outside and get her frustrations out in a way and in a space where it was not hurting anyone or anything. So I share that story because even for me, I had to remind myself like they need an outlet. And you buy these things and you tell them these things and give them these ways that they can release their emotions, release their frustrations. And then we turn around and tell them not to. But part of it is the way that we grew up. And part of it is the fact that we are so uncomfortable with these uncomfortable emotions. And so many of us were taught that you just can't have the emotions or you just have to shut the emotions down. That now when we see them in our children, like It's not a matter of our children are not supposed to be doing something. It's a matter of we can't tolerate the feelings. And, you know, I watch children and the feelings that they have, and they're very human feelings, and they're feelings that we have. And in this situation with my daughter hitting the punching bag, I realize I'm like, man, sometimes I think I just don't want my children to children. Like, children are gonna be mad and children are gonna get frustrated and children are going to be loud. And I don't remember what else happened in that day that made me have this thought. It was based on something else that I heard from someone. But I, re- I realized that like a lot of times, so many of us have children and we might take our children to work for a day or we might go out in public with our children. But the moment our children have a tantrum or a meltdown, which is what children do, we are like mortified and embarrassment and we're like, get get up off the floor and you know want to take them out and we don't want children to be children <laughs> like we all want children and we want to have these cute families and we want to have the photos with our families and the matching outfits that are beautiful and I know I've even had people reach out to me and be like what do I do my child doesn't want to take photos or what do I do if they're crying in the photo I'm like take the photo <laughs> like just take it even if the kid is sideways or the kid is not smiling or the kid is mad, like that's actually your life right now. I don't know what you're trying to capture in this moment, but most of the time people take pictures because they want to remember the moments. So if I go traveling and I take a picture of a mountain in a moment, it's because I want to remember this moment. If you're planning family pictures and your child is crying in the moment, that's the moment. Like that's the moment that you're choosing to remember. And that's what's happening. But our children are like real humans. I always call children tiny humans, right? But I think people like want tiny adults. Y- y'all don't have tiny adults, you have tiny humans who are full of emotions, full of their own ideas and thoughts, their own desires, their own talents, their own curiosities, and they're going to explore all of those things. And as adults, you know, we think we manage these challenging emotions, but I think a lot of us don't manage them in a healthy way. I think a lot of us have just learned to like not feel them in front of people, not show them in a certain way, and then we take anxiety medication. I'm talking about me. (laughs) I might not be talking about any of y'all. I'm talking about me. My anxiety is through the roof, but I do think in part it was because I was not taught to deal with emotions. And now I'm this adult who is now, after studying child development, after working with children, learning how to deal with my negative emotions. I recently watched a reel from, I think his name is Bill Hader from SNL. I apologize if I said your name wrong. I feel like I should know you. But anyways, I watched a reel with him and he was talking about his own anxiety. And he was talking about how for years he tried to get rid of his anxiety and how that never worked. And for him, the thing that finally worked was recognizing his anxiety and addressing it almost as if it was a friend of his. He called it like a little monster, but he would have to say that before going on stage, his anxiety would rile up and start you know, talking to him and telling him how to feel and what to do or what not to do and how he would just have to take that anxiety and be like, oh, here you are. You're here, let's go. We're going on stage. Come sit on my shoulder, we're going on stage. And I share that because I think that's something that we have to do with our children. If we wanna have children who are emotionally intelligent, If we want to have children who learn how to actually manage their emotions, we have to have children who are willing to see their emotions, talk to those emotions, and then decide what to do with those emotions, not just children who are going to try to make the emotions disappear. But in order to have children who are able to do that, we as adults have to be willing to deal with our child's emotions. And if they're feeling negative emotions, We can't necessarily give them a time limit. We can't be like, oh, yeah, you can feel sad and then look at our watch and be like, look, you've been crying for a minute now. Like, it's over. You got to get it together. Your child might need another minute to be sad. Your child might need four or five minutes to be angry. We cannot put a time on somebody else's emotional process and emotional period. Now, obviously, if you recognize that this is going on for just way too long and it seems highly unusual and like unrealistically long periods of time of anger, frustration, sadness. And by that, I mean, you know, if your child has been crying and throwing a tantrum and it's now going on 30 minutes to an hour, that that is too long. That is time to pick up the phone and call your pediatrician. That is time to bring in a little extra support and find out what's going on. But if your child is really, really upset for five minutes, but they are starting to calm down, but they're still upset for maybe 10 minutes, like it's OK. give them the space to feel upset. Give them the space to process it, and then give them the tools to process it. But get comfortable. Start to get comfortable with your own negative emotions. start to get comfortable with their negative emotions, and then give a safe space for them to have those and feel those, and then give them a safe way. To feel those and manage those. And if you find yourself in a situation like me, where it's just like if you hear it or you feel it in a certain way that upsets you, you're going to have to give yourself tools to get through those moments and those periods of time so that you can be or at least appear comfortable in a safe space for them to process those emotions. And for me, some of the things that I do are hide in the bathroom. Let's be honest, y'all. You know, if you're a mama, you hide in the bathroom sometimes. But while I'm in the bathroom hiding, (laughs) I might do a tapping technique. And now I can't show you what tapping looks like here on a podcast, but you can Google tapping. You could probably do hashtag tapping on Instagram and look up different techniques, but it's basically where you, you know, tap your forehead above your eyebrows. Then you might move down and tap under your eyes. You might tap your collarbone. You might tap your hands, each hand on both sides. And some people tap and they'll say affirmations. It's a way of literally tapping into your nervous system and trying to regulate and rebalance out what's happening physically inside your body. Another thing I do is sometimes I'll close my eyes and do something that's called box breathing. And it's where you imagine a box in your mind, like a square, and you see kind of like the lines being drawn up to the side, down and to the side. And as you imagine the line being drawn up, you take a deep breath in. When you get to the top of the box, you hold that breath as you draw the line from, let's say you drew, drew, you know, from the bottom to the top, inhaling. Then you hold it as you draw from the left to the right. Once you get to the right, you're about to draw down. That's when you exhale. And then you hold it again as you draw from right to left until you've completed your box. And you can do that box breathing technique about two minutes, it's going to regulate your nervous system, or it's at least going to help. And it's going to give you something else to focus on other than the sound, other than the anger. As long as your child is safe in that moment and they're okay, like my daughter, she was safe. She was hitting that that bat and she was hitting the, the punching bag, but she was safe. And again, she wasn't hurting anybody. So I could take a moment to calm myself down. And I think it's really, really important to be able to calm yourself down before addressing your children. Again, granted that your children are safe in the moment, because another thing that I notice is like when we get upset with our children, we just become kerosene to their fire. And I want you to pay attention to the next time that your child is shouting or yelling or upset, and then you get triggered and you also get upset and you have that feeling of like, I've got to yell over them to calm them down. Because most of the time what it does is it just adds kerosene to the fire and they get bigger. <laughs> like they get bigger in their anger or in their sadness. They get louder in their anger or sadness. And you have to get louder and bigger into like, it's just a battle of like who can get bigger and bigger. But a lot of times when, when they're upset and you match their upset, you, you're only making them It's not that you're making them more upset, but Lord, this, I'm about to go into a whole other episode. Google mirror neurons, and we're gonna talk about that in another episode. But there is something that actually happens when you behave a certain way and your child is looking at you and they see you and they hear your tone and they see your facial expressions. They are going to mirror what you're doing, not by choice, scientifically, biologically, they are going to mirror what you're doing. So if you get upset with them, you're just going to make them more upset. You're going to be kerosene to the fire. So my advice is that you figure out how to calm yourself down. Try the box breathing. Try the tapping. Google a different technique that you might be able to use in the moment so that you can be their calm when they are upset and bring them to a place of calm. You know how Michelle Obama says, when they go low, we go high? Well, when they go high, go low. Okay, (laughs) with your children, go low, stay low, bring them down to where you are. So that's what I have for you today. Your homework is to email me. You can message me on Instagram at Cherise Sims, or you can write anything right here in the show notes. Um, We have a Google form here in the show notes, and you can also email podcasts with an S at blacklove.com. But I want you to send me your questions. I want you to let me know what you're struggling with. Let me know what you're maybe struggling to still understand. Like maybe you're trying the scripts. Maybe you're doing the things and it's still not working. Email that to me as detailed as you can or as general as you can so that I can help fill in those gaps and so that, you know, I got stuff to talk about on here (laughs) because I want to serve the community. I want to make sure that what I'm giving is things that you need to get. So uh, email me, stay connected, share this with a friend and come back next week. Y'all talk to you later. Peace, everybody.